If you got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to uh, join with me as we turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at uh, a few more verses than we looked at last week. Uh, we started uh, a message last week, and uh, we're going to finish that. The import, we talked about the importance of gathering together um, as corporate uh, worship. Today, I want to share with you some effects of gathering together in corporate worship. So today, as we look to the Scripture, I want us to back up uh, in our reading this morning, and we'll come to that in just a, a, a couple of minutes, but um, I wanted to take just a moment to remind you um, that... Uh, as we continue to uh, walk through these difficult days, we need one another more than ever. We need to be encouraged by one another. We need to be uh, uplifted by one another. So when we listen to the words of the Scripture this morning, let them speak into your life. Let them tell you what God wants you to hear this morning about who He is and why He has brought us together as His children. So if you would, let's stand as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10, I want to begin at verse 15 today. And for those of you that are uh, online, it should be on the screen here for you in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 through 25. And uh, I want you to listen to what the scripture teaches us. And I picked this verse to start with because what we want is we want the Holy Spirit of God to join us together as we worship this morning. So it's fitting that we begin talking about Him. And here's what it says, Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that He had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of, their, of these is, is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated uh, for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that is promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Father, we come as we read the Word. We know that, Father, we invite the Holy Spirit into the presence. We thank You for the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. We thank You that He rent the veil from top to bottom so that we might have access to You through the Holy of Holies. And Lord, we come this morning asking that the holiness of God would be opened up to us and that, Lord, as we've gathered together today, we would worship You in spirit and truth. And Lord, would you speak to me and through me, Lord. Move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross. Let the blood of Jesus Christ speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and you may be seated this morning. 
Now let me just start off by saying that probably for many of us, when we drove to church today, uh, two out of three, uh, or every three households, your neighbors chose not to come to church today. On an average Sunday, now again, an average Sunday, two-thirds of Americans will find something else to do rather to go to church on Sunday. Interestingly enough, many of those same people believe the same things that you and I do. In fact, it seems strange to think that two-thirds of America who do not attend church on any given Sunday believe in God, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, believe in heaven, and even say they pray to God. Now, I'm sure that many times when you and I see the majority of America never darkening the doors of the church, as we pass home after home where people are out cutting their grass, washing their cars, playing golf, going on picnics, the, uh, um, doing other things, the thought crosses our mind, if they don't have to go to church, why do I have to go to church? Now, I would agree that's a legitimate question. Why should I go to church? Now, there are going to be some of you that would say to me, well, that's, a, that, that's really not a, a, a good question. It's an unfair question because I have a built-in reason to go to church. His name is Jesus. Well, that's great. I know it may seem as though my message on gathering the church uh, has to do with people staying out of church due to the COVID. It really isn't. However, this is a problem the church has been facing, the whole church, God's church, for many, many years. And Midway has been struggling with it for the last two years, and here's what I mean. Many of you perhaps do not know that at the end of last year, we had considered, and to share with you at the beginning of the year, that we were going to stop having Sunday night services because people were not attending. And a matter of fact, we as staff and, and, and others had gathered together to talk about whether or not that we had to restructure our Wednesday night as well simply because many people were not coming and therefore we did not have the workers that we needed for the kids that were coming. And therefore, it was one of those things that we had agreed that at the beginning of the year we would discuss this with the church. Well, however, um, we all know how the beginning of the year went. COVID showed up and messed it all up. And so it really got kind of lost in the wash. We weren't doing Sunday nights. We're not doing Wednesday nights. So there really was no reason to discuss what we were going to do when we were faced with what we are doing. So therefore, I wanted you to understand this morning, the reason that I am preaching and teaching about gathering of the church is not just because some are not come back to the church during this pandemic, but because the church as a whole has seen a major decline in, in attendance and commitment over the last several years. And therefore, I thought as it is an opportunity for us to use this as a time. Um, I know that the timing of the message highlights the current state that we're in. And, uh, uh, but yet, in that, I want us to understand that this can be also a great awakening for us to realize that we need to change direction and motivation and commitment to the things of God. So, I want us to talk about this from this perspective. Participating together with the church is incredibly important. We talked about that last week. 
We know that from the beginning and beyond, churches have gathered together uh, on the first day of the week, affectionately called the Lord's Day by the Apostle John. We also know that churches have gathered together on other days for other occasions in addition to the worship on the Lord's Day. Acts chapter 2 verse 46 says they met on a daily basis uh, and, and, and shared together from house to house and, and other occasions. This pattern, however, has not continued automatically. However, from the first century even up until today, believers have encountered many obstacles relating to gathering together in their church. In fact, some may even argue while um, gathering together with the church may have been important in the past, it is less so today in our modern era. Can I just say real quick, we need to shoot that in the foot. We need to shoot that, I mean, we need to stop that right at the beginning. Let me tell you today, the Bible is very clear. The, the closer the coming of the Lord, the harder it's going to be to walk with Christ. The more that we're going to need to spend time with the brethren as so that we can go out into a lost and dying world. Let me tell you that it is so important for us to understand that we cannot agree with this concept. We should insist uh, on the opposite view instead. Gathering together with your church needs to become more and more important as we say, see the day approaching. Hopefully, having established last week the biblical precedent for the church as an assembly or a gathering, I really want to get down to the ground level to speak to you about um, and to speak to you, this body, concerning our obligation to God and to one another as we fulfill the New Testament mandate of enjoying Jesus together and worshiping together and serving together and encouraging together and working together. So I'm going to give you three points that hopefully will give a framework for the effects of cooperative gathering in light of our commitment to glorify God and to love one another according to Hebrews chapter 10. Now, here's the other kicker. I'm only going to give you one today simply because of the amount of time that I want to spend on this one. So you're going to have to come back or uh, subscribe or, 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 or get the, the DVD for next week to get the other two. But this morning, I want us to focus in on what the writer of Hebrews says to us when the church gathers corporately, it illustrates the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, that's what I'm going to tell you all about what I mean about that. That I believe that when the church gathers corporately, it is the best opportunity for us to illustrate the gospel to a lost and dying world. And we're going to talk about how that works. Now, let's go back to what we just read. In verses 15 through 23... I want you to kind of get the idea of what I see these scriptures saying. And these scriptures paint the picture of what Christ did for us through the blood and that by our coming together, we express the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ to all those who have yet to experience the great salvation that he has given unto us. Now, verse 24 um, and now I'm just recapping, and, and I'll come back to, to a lot of this. Reminds us that because we have been made one through the blood, 
We are to encourage others to live for Christ and also by gathering together, we're to be encouraged by others to live for Christ as we spend time in worship together. Now, verse 25. Verse 25 is that harsh verse that we talked about last week um, that, that the writer says that we should not neglect meeting together as the habit of some is due to the fact that we are closer today to the coming of Christ than we've ever been before. And because we are closer to the coming of Christ today than we've ever been before, it is harder and harder for the church to be the church in a lost and dying world because we are so beaten down by the things of the world and the devil that we need one another so that we can be energized, so that we can go out into the world and be the light and the darkness darkness and the salt that causes others to thirst for Christ. Now, let me explain. You say, what, didn't you already do that? No, that was just the, the, the setup. Let me explain. All right. This is the most fundamental responsibility that baptized Christians who have been coveted together by love under the lordship of Jesus Christ in a local church have towards one another. This is it, my friends, to gather together corporately at the official weekly appointed times that the church assembles is the most important thing that we can do to help encourage and strengthen the body of Jesus Christ. However, if the common or the everyday or every week or the occasional uh, attender comes to church to worship on a Sunday, but does not know why, then we have a problem. The why we come to church needs to be answered. Why then should we come to church? Why should you go to church? To be more theologically accurate, it really should have been the question of why um, gather with the church. Now you see what I'm saying? We have this mentality that this building is the church. This is not the church. It's the building the church meets in. It's the, the building that God has given us so that we have a, a warm place in the wintertime, a dry place in the rainy season, a place for us to be able to meet together. We need to recognize that uh, since the church is not a building down the street or on a, uh, a street corner, but it is the group of believers... We, church, gather to glorify God. We, church, we, the people of God, come to church. We are collectively worshiping as the body of Christ. We gather around God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 commands us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which he says is the reasonable or the least that we should offer back unto God. All right? So this lifestyle propels a communal witnessing. Now, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, Peter reminds us that we are uh, uh, supposed to be repenting um, or repenting that we're to come together, 1 Peter. Uh, and then Acts chapter 2, verse 38, talks about our need for repenting together as a church. And then in Psalms chapter 150, Ephesians 5, 19, talks about our need to worship together as a church. 
And then Colossians 3.16 talks about the need for teaching in the church. Just as we did an hour before you all, some of you all got here, we were in Sunday school and Kevin was teaching us the Word of God. All right, so we gather because we are one body drawn together by God to be the people of God who live for God. We testify to God's greatness. We disciple others through life together. We serve, we teach, and we encourage not just one another, but the world at large. We never know who's going to enter the doors of our church, and therefore every week we need to make sure that what we are doing as a church is that we are teaching the Word of God, that we are exemplifying the Word of God, meaning living it even here so that they see us living it out here so that when they see us out there, they will know why we live the way we do out there. And therefore we need to be reminded of the importance of this gathering together. All right? So remember that uh, that's what the, the word church means. Uh, ecclesia means the assembling together. We gather together to pray, to sit under God's word, to observe and practice the, the ordinances, to love each other, to give towards the work of the ministry, all that seems pretty simple, doesn't it? We all know that we come, we sing songs to worship, we uh, praise the Lord, we, we uh, hear the preaching and teaching of the Word, we give our tithes and our offerings, we say hey to folks, we pray for folks, we encourage folks, we're encouraged by folks. And we'd say, well, yeah, that's exactly what all is supposed to go on in the church. And that's exactly what needs to go on in the church. And that's why the church needs to come together because those things cannot happen apart from coming together. All right? So we, uh, we need to recognize that our society is extremely skeptical towards this idea. As a culture, we have a massive problem with this idea because our modern culture is skeptical about the need to to commit themselves to a church or a body of believers to worship. So it should not surprise us when the different generations um, say such things as this. Well, I love Jesus. I read my Bible. I listen to sermons online. I read books and pray. I even meet a few times a, a, a month with other Christians every now and again to talk about the Bible. But why should I commit myself to waking up early on Sunday morning, driving to a church, worshiping God in one location with the same people, listening to the same preacher week after week after week? Why? What a great question. Well, let me just see if I can't on it just for a moment. Now, the truth is, there are probably a number of good justifications that people think that they can use, that they can use towards why they don't need to do this. Now, they might sound something like this. Um, maybe it's because we've worked hard all week. Anybody work hard all week? Hey, man, I have. Oh, Lord, I have. All right. 
We might even say, well, I need a break on Sunday. I need to just stay home and rest today. So I know that next week is going to be just as hard as this week was. I'm going to take today. After all, it does say that uh, today is a day of rest and it shouldn't be any work. So I'm just going to stay home, Brother Tom, and I'm going to rest today instead of going to church. Now, that sounds like a logical uh, reason. Maybe it could be that they just are saying that they really don't care for the people at that church. Now that reminds me of a, a story of a man who was going home after church one Sunday and said to his wife, he said, I'm done. She said, what do you mean you're done? I'm never going back to that church again. I'm done. She said, honey, you can't be done. He said, well, give me three good reasons why I can't be done. She said, well, listen. The people love you down to that church. Sure they do. The people need you down at that church. Sure they do. After all, you are the pastor. <laughs> we all get that way sometimes. We're done. We're done. We, we're not coming back. So, you know, it may be that we just don't care about that group of people. We'd rather worship at home with the people that we kind of uh, uh, like or, or that you know, um, ignore us anyways, all right? But the truth of the matter is that we either don't understand what this Bible teaches about the nature and necessity of the local gathering and what God, through Christ, demands of us as His children, or we just simply don't think we need it or that we are, in, are needed at all there, or we would much rather just simply live for ourselves. Now the question has to be answered, where are you? Now, I've kind of given you an opening of where I'm going, and now there's two things that I want to make point of. First of all, I want us to go backwards in history. I want us to consider the then and the now effects of gathering together and corporate worship. So first of all, let's talk about the, the then. How the early believers showed the gospel through gathering. Now, the whole idea is that as we gather together, we are a living example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been born again this morning, let me ask you a simple question. How many of you are the same today that you were before you became born again? If you say, I am, you're in big trouble. Not from me, but in your salvation. Because here's the thing. What I was back then is not what I am now. Jesus Christ has changed me from what I was to what I am. I remember a story, uh, uh, an illustration in my own personal life. I was uh, at a, uh, a funeral of a co-worker and one of my classmates from high school, and this was after we'd been out of school for many years, um, saw me at the funeral and said, man, I got a question for you. He said, I heard this craziest rumor. I said, well, what did you hear, Harold? He said, I heard the rumor that you're a pastor, a preacher. He said, I told them they were absolutely nuts. I knew you. There was no way you were a pastor or a preacher. And I simply standing on the street corner said to him, Harold, this is exactly what God can do when he changes a life. You see, the reality is if we're the same as what we were before, what people knew us as before, and we're still living that way, we have not been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what we should be is changed, and when people see us, they see something different in us than they've ever seen before. And therefore, we're a walking example 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ when we gather together. Now, in the, the then, the early believers, let's compare uh, this modern attitude towards the corporate gathering with, the, with that of the first century church. You see a massive difference between the two. In fact, many people will argue that um, the way that we do church today is sort of a modern construct and that there are even subcultures of Christian groups who are trying to move away from what we know of as the local gathering of the church and to create other ways of doing this. They're going back to home groups or what they call cell group models. Then there's the online model, meaning that you don't even have to leave your home anymore. You can just do church online. Then there are those that are gathering, are secluded for different types of people with similar interests and hobbies. You know what I'm talking about. Those, those groups that say we're, we're, we're going to do a, a, a rodeo church and all we're going to have there is people that like rodeos and clowns. Well, I know a bunch of people that are clowns, but I, I don't know if they can go or not. Well, that's a different story. All right. Uh, yes, Justin, we're going to sign him up. Okay. All right. So you know what I'm talking about. All those different groups that create a, 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 a secluded different group of people. And their, their argument is made, well, we just want to love Jesus. And, and we don't want to be religious and be confined to any four walls of a church. We want to be the church on the move. That seems to be the new idea today, the new statement. We're the church on the move. Well, we're just on the wrong move. Um, you've heard all these, right? I, I'm, I'm not the only one that's heard these. Um, God never called me to come to the church building. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Not. He called me to go out and to be the church. And there certainly is something to glean from that idea. Here's what I mean. We don't want to idolize any one specific local church or church building. We certainly want to be missional in our function as the church outside of the building. And we want to be a part of our community. We want to, to, to be involved in our community. So we need to leave this place and spend more time out into the world. But did you hear what I said? We need to leave this place, meaning that we have to come to a place in order to leave the place to go out into the world. You see, the Bible talks about that very reality, them coming together so that they can go out together. You see, from the New Testament church, the, the whole idea was bringing them together and then they sent them out of the church, out of the body, into the world. You see, but there had to first come a coming together. However, the very early church doctrines dating all the way back to the second century give evidence that the church gathered weekly. On the first day of the week where the scriptures were read publicly, prayers were made, the word was proclaimed and heard, and there was even offerings collected. Now, if we look at uh, uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we find that there is a term there that is used that helps us to understand. It's called the first day of the week, the church gathered together for breaking of bread. And as a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 20, it says, and Paul preached. Now, don't you wish that Paul was preaching? Amen? Oh, well, maybe I'm not so bad then. All right, now, but here, listen. 
You've got to read Acts chapter 20 for all of those that say that our preacher is long-winded. Paul preached until midnight. Now, it says that in his preaching till midnight, one man was sitting in the windowsill with his feet propped up, and he fell asleep of the second-story window, fell out the window, and he hit the ground and died. Any of you done that in my preaching? Some of you have felt like you wanted to, but you haven't yet, so live it up. All right, then Paul had to go outside and had to raise him from the dead so he could continue to, to close out his message. Now, I have taken my stand from Paul, the apostle who said, uh, in, in conclusion, and then he preaches five more points. So that's why I do what I do. I've learned how to preach from reading the apostle Paul. All right, so the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 tells us on the first day of the week, is when he was preaching the gospel, all right? The church came together on the first day of the week to hear the word preached and to take the supper. Now, that's called communion. Now, uh, again, I will tell you, come back in two weeks because we are going to do communion together as the body of Christ. We're going to talk about its importance to the function. And as we do that, let me just say, I'll say this a little later on, but let me just remind you that when we are taking communion, there is no greater testimony to the lost world that comes and sits among us than when they see us and know why we're partaking of the bread and the juice. So that we understand it is because of his broken body and his shed blood that we have been brought into salvation. Now, church, this is critical for us to understand because the very act of gathering is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel creates creates the church. Now again, who's the church? It's not this building. The gospel did not build this building. A bunch of men built this building. But the gospel created you and I from sinners to saints, from lost to saved. All right? Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus uh, purchased the church for, of God with his own blood. He purchased us that we might be reconciled to God, bear His image in the earth by showing forth His glory and His majesty. So that the corporate gathering is the most explicit demonstration of the implications of the gospel. Because the gospel produces worshipers, it also produces a collective place for worship. We see this most clearly in Revelation chapter 7 and verses 9 through 10, and I'm not going to go there because I spoke about it last week and pointed it out to you, but I just wanted to refer back to it. Again, John sees the vision of all the people of God united together in corporate worship in heaven before Christ. And so when we gather for an hour on Sunday morning and we worship Christ, it is just a little foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. And there has been men who have argued that the authentic expression of our worship here in the corporate gathering is the closest experience that we will have of heaven until we actually get there. Until we are in heaven standing before the throne. Now, the Old Testament saints coming into being from the Old Testament way of doing 
worship, now introduced to the new way, now called the church, is how they shared the gospel with their community. Their coming in and going out was an example to others about what God through Christ had done for them. They weren't just going to temple on Saturday. They were going to the house of the Lord on Sunday. They were meeting with the Christians and making a difference in the world, saying, we are still Jew, but we are born-again Jews. We're worshiping the Christ, the Messiah. You see how they showed how that they could come from one to the other without losing the other. Now, how do we, how do we, the church today, show the gospel through our gathering? I would love to be able to say to you perfectly, wonderfully, with all godliness, but I'm not. But I will tell you the way that we should and that we could and that we ought to. We proclaim the gospel when we baptize new converts. I I thought about this and and thought about the fact that it's been a few weeks uh, uh, since the last time we've troubled the waters and I thought about the, the last baptism I did was uh, at the river, and, and what a wonderful experience it was to be able to share to the folks there that were there uh, what Christ has done. But I want you just to think about a baptism just for a moment. What a wonderful illustration it is, because uh, the picture of baptism is the gospel message in itself. The very fact that there they are standing there And they're standing there representing their old way of life. And what do we ask them? Have you now asked Jesus to be your Savior? Yes. Okay? So what that says is that I once was lost, but now I've been found. Now I've made a commitment to Christ. And there they are making that commitment known. And what we say to them is, as we baptize them, we baptize them to the Lord's death into the water, and then we bring them back up again as a representation that you were once alive to your sin, now you've died to sin, now you are alive in Jesus Christ. What a great illustration of the gospel. We ought to be baptizing people every week. Now listen, don't, don't be like the church who um, you know, said that uh, we can't leave until somebody you know, um, gets saved today and we can have a baptism. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Um, We don't want to be baptizing people for the sake of baptizing. What we want to do is share the gospel to the point that we are leading people to Christ so that every week we're presenting somebody that has heard the gospel, seen the gospel, and responded to the gospel, and now are ready to share the gospel in their own life. We need to be doing that. So we need to do that through that of, of proclaiming his death and resurrection But we also do that through communion. We do that every time that we set the table up or however it is that we choose to do it. When we offer unto the congregation, what do we say to the people that are here? If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is not for you. This is for those that have been bought and paid for and who have come to understand that Jesus paid a debt for their sin He was broken for their transgressions. He was beaten for their sin. He has paid his price for your price of your life. 
And therefore, we take the body of Christ as a reminder to to the lost world that if I want someone to pay my price for my sin, I need Jesus as my Savior. And then what do we say when we drink the wine or the the juices we do here? That we say that this is the blood of Jesus Christ. It represents His spilled blood. Listen, my friends, on Calvary's cross, Jesus paid it all. He gave it all. He gave not just one drop of His blood. Listen, I, I, I always like to remind folks that one drop, Jesus could have pricked His finger and one drop of blood would have been sufficient to pay for the sins of the world because He was that righteous. He was holy. But He didn't. He didn't give one drop of blood. He gave it all. He gave it all so that we would know that what He requires of you and I as followers of Him is that we not only give our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, but we give it all to Him. Everything about us, all that we are, goes to Him. So we do those two things so that we might present the gospel to those that are here. Now let me just remind you, this doesn't happen in Bible study. It doesn't happen at a college ministry group. It doesn't happen in small group or accountability group or on the parkway or on the mountaintop overlook. Those are wonderful places. This expression of Christ's salvation and the work of salvation is fleshed out through the preaching of the word and through the ordinances that are done weekly during corporate gatherings of the local body of Christ. Now, focusing on this issue, and I'm getting ready to close here just in a minute. Remember what Paul said. Five more points and I'll be there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, offers some wisdom for us here in this area of fleshing out. For he says, everyone is knit together meaning that everyone is needed so that the body of Christ works together in the way that it was supposed to work. So that when we think about this, that we are here to support one another in order so that we might grow the body in building up one another in love. By properly functioning um, in this role, by our obedience, then the body begins to grow. People come together as a church. Community outreach is done, what we talked about here. All right? Discipleship takes place, what we did in there an hour ago. Building one another up, teaching the foundational truths so that we might walk in the newness of the life in which we've been given. Life lived together compels the advancement of the gospel. We encourage one another by our coming. You encourage me. And I hope that there's something about me that encourages you to leave this place and go be the church. Go stand for Christ. Do for Christ. Live for Christ. Speak for Christ. People come together as a church so that we can go out together as the church. 
Christ, being the head of the church, gives Christians a solid foundation, a leader to whom they can follow and imitate daily. In John's Gospel, in chapter 17, Christ prayed for us. You know, we oftentimes call the Lord's Prayer, that prayer, our Father which art in heaven, the Lord's Prayer. But really, I think the Lord's Prayer is here in John chapter 17. When Jesus is praying for the church, long before the church was ever the church. Jesus was praying for you and I 2,000 years ago before we were ever here. He was praying that we might be unified one with another as He and the Father were unified together in one spirit. And we've been given that one spirit called the Holy Spirit to bring us all together so that we can worship together as one because the Holy Spirit connects us together as one. We gather so that we can be like Christ. We gather because we get to enjoy this relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and God His children. I mean, think about it this way. The most fundamental and basic obligation that any one of us as Christians have as a member of the church have towards one another is to gather together on Sunday to love each other and worship together. And if we aren't doing that, how can we ever expect to move further in love towards one another? How will you ever learn to love the brothers and sisters in Christ if you're never together in worship with them? It can't happen. So let me close. Let me close by just talking about some things I've already talked about. I want to iterate uh, what I mean. So I just want to reiterate some things that I said last week as a reminder for those of us who need to hear it. We should make corporate gathering a lifelong non-negotiable for you and your family. As long as health Now hear me, as long as health and circumstances allow it, don't come to church if you're COVID or sick, but make sure that health allows it. If you're newly married or getting ready to get married soon, might I suggest to you that one of the subjects that I tell my folks when I counsel them is that you need to pick a church that you need to commit to, that you need to be a part of as you're thinking about getting married or newly married. You and your spouse need to decide before you get married that you're going to live your life and your family will be marked by a commitment to a corporate gathering of God's people together. Now, It may take a few years for husbands and wives to get it together to be able to do um, devotions together and family devotions together, just to do a Bible study together and sometimes even to pray together. But listen, it only takes a commitment to be committed to come to church every week all those other things will begin to flesh themselves out. 
Now, fathers, let me remind you that this needs to be a non-negotiable in your home. Fathers, Pastor Josh has been, uh, been talking a lot about family devotion during this time, trying to incorporate family worship by giving you a lot of material to use with your families at home during the, the crazy times when we were all locked in. And there may be still some questions about what does that look like? How do I really do that? And we certainly want to address all of those with you, however we can. But let the foundation of your spiritual leadership, men, be that health permitting, you and your family are going to be committed and devoted to the corporate gathering of God's people. Let me remind you of the words that Joshua said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What Joshua meant is for me and my house, we're going to be in the body of believers. May it be that when we come out the other side of this, when we get through this pandemic, this be a restart for us as a church locally, but for the church. I have been telling you that uh, in, in preaching the last few weeks about revival and the great need for revival in the church today spurred me to preach about the need for gathering to remind us that when we come out the other side of this craziness, my prayer is that we will see a, a, not a further falling away, but a greater coming together and a fullness of the Spirit of the Lord, and see Him at work in the church as He has not done in many, many years. It has been my prayer, and will continue to be my prayer until my last days, or until God tells me, stop praying about it, it's never going to happen. Here's what you need to pray now. I believe with all my heart that God wants to bring revival that God can bring revival. We just need to want it as bad as God does. And so I tell you, church, as we recognize the need, may it be that we say, Lord, when, when it's all said and done, I'm going to be there. I'm committed. I'm going to set the example of spreading the gospel not only through my words, but through my being May God richly bless His church, His gospel, and His word. Let us pray together, and then if we do, we will dismiss our online folks. Father, we thank You for the opportunity today to preach Your word. And Lord, I pray that, Father, that uh, You would take the feeble words that I have spoken and by the work of the Holy Spirit, stir them in the hearts of your people and cause them to get something out of it that will cause them to walk closer and deeper with you. And Lord, I pray that, Father, that we would be the example of the gospel of Jesus Christ because our lives are not what they once were and not what they will be if we continue to walk in the body of Christ. And Father, for those that are not saved this morning, those that are not here this morning. Lord, they have heard the gospel message. Jesus came, 
He died. He rose again. He came so that we might have life and forgiveness of sin. And so, Father, if there is one that needs to know you, needs to come to know you, whether a, a young person or an adult, Lord, I pray that the work of the Holy Spirit would be in and through their lives and that you would draw them out of that uh, sin and into your marvelous salvation. And that, Lord, today would realize all they have to do is call out to you. And you are always faithful to hear the sinner's prayer. Lord, we need you as our Savior. Forgive us of our sins. Come into our hearts and we will live for you. We commit our life to you. What a prayer that God always hears. So, Father, speak. Let your servants listen. Holy Spirit, convict that we might be changed. Jesus, continue to be the example before us that we might walk after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you online, if you need to contact us, um, our information is there for you, so please contact us. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Now for you that are here as we sign off from them, let me just encourage you that are here.